2: Score North on AM 1500 KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis, 94.5 KSTP FM St. Paul HD2, and on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Alright, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here with you, along with Courtney Cronin of ESPN. How are you, Courtney? I'm good. How's it going?
1: Not Feels too, like it's been a bad. minute.
2: It does, yeah. Andrew the Kramer. Off, the offseason goes quickly. Hey, let me ask you, as we get started here, lots of uh, things to talk about. Antonio Brown, it appears, has officially requested a trade or maybe been traded. It's kind of hard to tell from his tweet exactly what he's getting at, other than he's not going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler next year. So I wanted to go through with you some uh, potential cap casualty wide receivers that go beyond the uh, just the list of free agents that you can find on the interweb. So free agents that could be coming. But last week, when Andrew Kramer was filling your shoes... We talked about the idea of Riley Reef moving to guard. Mm -hmm. Andrew reported that the Vikings will consider moving Riley Reef to guard. How do you feel about that?
1: I don't know in terms of how much you pay a guy like that in in a possible restructure. We just don't have. I've been thinking about this for a while since I saw Andrew's story last week. We don't have a great sample size for it working out. Why do NFL teams keep thinking that this is the solution to fixing your problems along the offensive line? If you move him inside to tackle, inside to guard, who's your left tackle? You're going to go out and sign somebody? Do you have the space for that? Because you're not going to, I mean, you're going to, I don't think you're going to keep Riley Reef at what he's making right now and scheduled to make in 2019 to move him inside to play guard. But then again, what kind of leverage do you have in order to do that, because you're kind of SOL without a left tackle right, <laughs> right now. And right. that's, you know, either way, you're not in a good position.
2: So let me give you a few options and you tell me which one you like. Okay. Option A would be Riley Reif stays at left tackle and they sign a guard, whoever it might be. Let's say it's not the top guard that they sign, someone else, like a Quentin Spain or AJ kan, just a, Just a guy, basically, sure. who's a starting caliber left guard. Move Riley Reef to left guard and draft with the 18th overall pick, a starting left tackle. Move Brian O'Neill to left tackle would be another option there. But just say draft one, fill it that way. That's option number two. Uh, option number three would be sign Donovan Smith, who is uh, probably, or Trent Brown. So those are mm-hmm. your three options. And then two of them have Riley Reef moving inside. Sign one of the top two tackles in the free agent market. Uh, draft one. And move Reef inside or just leave him? Which one do you like?
1: I say leave him. I don't, first off, and we've talked about this before about getting somebody who's ready to start at left tackle right away, right after you draft him. I don't think it happens. I think that the better chance and, and probably the better bet. If you're hedging on that, is that they're going to draft a tackle? If they do draft a tackle at 18, because right now every mock I'm seeing has them getting an edge rusher um, early on, which I think is you know to to a bigger point of you know what you're doing with your defense and what what that investment should be, and it should be on your front seven and your pass rushers Mocks and all love that. Defense they for this do, team. Um, but in terms, of, I just don't know. We, I mean, we saw the experiment, and I do think that Riley Reef is a better athlete. If we're, if we're looking at the tackles, I think he's a better athlete than Mike Remmers. I don't think the Mike Remmers experiment really worked out well because you're taking an average athlete at best and moving him inside and asking him to play a position he never played before. And you wonder why the results were the way they were. I mean, it wasn't the right fit. I mean, do I think that Riley Reef has the athleticism to play guard? Maybe I don't know. I mean, do, has he ever played guard before? I mean, he made he's been he made the switch from from right tackle to left tackle in Detroit, and then back to left tackle here. I mean, he's been he has the experience of that spot, and I'm comfortable with him there. I don't know if you know the sample size that we've seen it working out. Not so much. Um, that to me is maybe not the best option because I just don't know. Is it when in terms of what you're doing with your cap space and you, know, you pulled up that list from over the cap of you know potential cuts that we could be seeing at the tackle position. Do, 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 I mean, do you really have like the type of money to be going out and paying these guys when you have so many other needs? I I don't know. And I think real- the
0: last time Riley Reef played guard was I think he was at Iowa. Yes, yeah, okay. like his junior year at Iowa. That yeah. was
1: what like, like, like nine years ago, yeah, yeah. Like, roughly. Okay. Yeah. And the I'm sure it will translate. i will come right back to him just like riding a bike. <laughs> and the experiment
2: moving him to right tackle didn't work out no. particularly well, right. which is one of the reasons that Detroit decided not to exactly. pay him and move on from him. And they saw the shortcomings in his game at left tackle, and that was the reason that they drafted Taylor Decker to take over for Riley Reef at left tackle. And we have seen those two, especially when it comes to pass protection. And now you have a quarterback who holds on to the ball, doesn't get rid of it quickly, and has exposed his backside, especially in a division with Khalil Mack in it. And it's not an ideal situation. But um, to speak to the option of potentially drafting one to start, if you look. Look at the tackles who were taken in the first round last year. You have one guy who started and was reasonably decent in Mike McGlinchey. Uh, then you have Colton Miller, who was a disaster, and Isaiah Wynn, who got hurt. And those are your three tackles. So the point just being, yeah, the guy might be able to come in and start or he might not. It's very hard to predict how a draft pick is going to be able to step in right away. So if that's your plan, you are really rolling the dice there and taking a big risk by putting a a starter as a rookie in at left tackle.
1: Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong with McGlinchey. Did he start at left tackle? No, he started at right tackle. And then they moved. And then him. they moved. Yeah. Is that true? We they went to left tackle. They had Joe Staley there, so I would assume that. I mean, starting at left tackle. Left tackle is a big. Well, maybe he
2: played right tackle the whole season. They yeah, got and so, it backwards. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, but but to me, still, you're looking at a situation where you know he. You know, that takes time to develop. You don't bring somebody in to start at left tackle. Left tackles, what what are the three positions people talk about? You know, your number one investment should be defensive end, quarterback, and left tackle. I mean, obviously not in that order, but that's what you're spending your money on. And so, I don't think that with that type of investment, you're necessarily looking at any of these draft prospects, no matter who's going in the top 10, top 20, where they're projected, and thinking that they're going to come in here and be able to fix the flaws that Kirk Cousins does have Um and expect that this is going to be any better of an experiment by, you know, piecemealing your offensive line together.
2: And McGlinchey, I just looked up his pro football focus numbers. He was pretty good. He was 23rd by pro football focus of guys who are regular. So it's 23rd out of 61. So he was a, a top uh, half of the league tackle, but he was also the ninth overall pick. Yeah. And if you assume that the NFL people usually get it right, which they do, I mean, the guys who are drafted higher are worth more uh, just across the board in all drafts and all sports, that if you're at 18, that's going to be a lot harder to get a guy who can step right in. So then you start looking around at other options, and it's pretty hard to make an argument that many of them are better than just having Riley Reef at left tackle and trying to fill that spot with the guard because the, the point that you made about the potential cuts, guys who might be let go, I mean, none of these players are very attractive. DJ. Humphreys from the Cardinals. he's a disaster. Jeremy Parnell might be sort of kind of okay. A very, very old Jason Peters, who looked like he still had it last year, but then uh, you know, Jason Fitzgerald of over the Cap writes that that's kind of a fifty fifty shot that that even happens that they cut him. So, you know, the options are not many when it comes to this situation. And I think what they should do with the draft pick is either first or second round. You take another tackle without the assumption that the guy's gonna start. Because anytime you start thinking, well, we're gonna draft for a guy to start this year, unless it's in the top ten, I think that that's where you get yourself in trouble. And maybe the Vikings even did with Laquan Treadwell. It, well, even
1: historically, taking a look back at this past draft class, who were the best tackles and guards? The ones, as you said, drafted in the top ten. You yep. think about Mike McGlinchey, you think about Quentin Nelson, you think about, you know, the players that, you know, went high, and they went high for a reason. Yes, there was a run on guards. Yes, there was a run on offensive linemen. And I think I saw somewhere, um, someone said yesterday that they expect double digits taken potentially in the first two rounds, which I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, Um, There are tackles. We know how important those positions are. But if you're not getting them kind of like with the really premium, the lottery spots, if you want to call them, like I just don't think that's going to work. And, you know, to one point on Riley Reef, I mean, they made the mistake before. I mean, which is why do we know if Mike Remmers is going to be on the roster? And you know, once free agency hits, if they don't, if do they really want to pay six point three million for a guard? Do you think that he would restructure and stick around as like a swing player? I don't know. I mean, I think that that he's still, I think he's a serviceable, serviceable to very to to good right tackle. I think that he has a future with that, a, a several more years with it. I don't think guard is going to be his best fit going forward. Mm-hmm. So. If they can find a better guard and upgrade that spot on the, on the on the interior, I think that they that he is very much a potential candidate for a cut. But would he? Why, why would he want to restructure? That's my thing. His legs like with a leverage thing. When he knows he can start, he's been a starter before. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to restructure? Yeah, no, and, and Riley Reeve has an eleven point seven million dollar cap hit. You don't want that at, at guard. I mean, you got to unload that somewhere. And I don't think they have the leverage to tell him. We need to restructure you and we're going to move. Oh, by the way, we're going to also move you inside. You're going to be playing left guard, taking over for Tom Compton. You know, and you think about the long-term health of this offensive line. What did we talk about? Was it two weeks ago that putting somebody in between Riley Reef and Pat Elfline, a veteran guard presence, is going to make both of them better? Yes. and I don't think that this is going to be your long term solution. Oh, we need to get him through the 2019. Get Kirk through the 2019 season. Let's figure out if this combination works. What are you doing to the overall health of your offensive line? What are you doing to the growth of a soon to be third year player in Pat Elfline who needs that? This is a critical year for him. I say, you know, Definitely. coming off the injury. Knowing that he's going to be fully healthy, we assume, going into 2019, this has got to be one of the biggest years and jumps in his development, and I don't think that you get that by one-year option type things. Mm-hmm.
2: I And, you know, I think that what we come back to after talking this through, where Riley Reef sits and Remmers and where everyone's going to end up, is it's still going to be a patchwork offensive line yeah, in 2019. This could
1: take two years to figure it out to where you to where you have a gelled starting five. I mean, even last year in two thousand or two years ago in two thousand seventeen, that was five different five players playing in all new positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you saw how well that worked once they were able to figure it out, but how short lived that was. That's right. Yeah, and it
2: sort of faded as the season went along, and a couple mm-hmm. of people got, got dinged up. Yeah, they they were. You know, playing with fire there to begin with, starting with uh, a bunch of guys that were out of position. And I just don't like the idea of someone having to go from being a left tackle for so long in their career, all but one year, to moving to a completely new position. And I I have heard people say, including Mike Zimmer, well, we just want the best five out there. Well, that hurt you in the playoffs when they tried to put Mike Remmers over at left guard after he had played right tackle the whole season and then one game at right guard, messing around with these guys. I mean, I, I saw some former offensive linemen discussing this with Donald Penn yeah. and, and moving him to the to other right side. tackle, yeah. yeah. Because of uh, Colton Miller. And a lot of them were saying, like, this is a really, really hard thing to do unless you're one of those swing guys like Jeremiah Searles, who's only in the league because he could play all the positions, but if you're not that type of guy who trains at all the different positions, just snapping your fingers and saying, we'll just move into left guard, I don't think that that's a very good idea.
1: It's moving positions to begin with. I mean, moving so- moving sides is incredibly difficult. And you brought up Donald Penn. Um, Gabe Jackson was a left guard at Mississippi State. He was on that Raiders offensive line, the one that was so good the year. That, like It was mm-hmm. basically them in Dallas, 1A and 1B. And I remember talking to him um, just about that transition. He said it took three years to figure out the, like how you backpedal your hands, yes. your hips, moving your body on a completely different direction. It's like you have to retrain your brain on how to do mm-hmm. it. And now you're asking him to learn it, to play an entirely different position. I just don't. I think it's too much.
2: Yeah. And he would have to do it pretty much on the fly because it sounded to me that. It isn't the decision that has been made yet. And even last year when we were in OTAs, Remmers started out the first week of OTAs at right tackle. tackle. And so it wasn't decided yet. And it's just, to me, it's walking a tightrope with the offensive line where the smarter way to do it seems to be, and, and we get this from Dallas, we get this from Indianapolis last year. You have to just Draft them and develop them. And there's no cheap and easy way to fix it. It's the Vikings spent a lot of their draft picks on the defensive side, and a lot of them have worked out, but they neglected the offensive line and they thought, oh, we'll just draft Willie Beavers. We'll just draft TJ All Clemens. these yeah, yeah. fourth
1: and fifth round guys that never pan very rarely pan out.
2: Yes, and then a the lack of continuity with offensive line coach, some of that not their fault, sure. obviously, but still, uh, it seems to me with a team like New England, their offensive line coach and the fact that they drafted and developed those guys underneath the same offensive line coach, that continuity benefits them. And when you watch the Patriots run schemes, it's they, they can do anything. They run all sorts of different uh, run schemes, and that's what Zimmer wants to be. But that's going to be difficult unless you can put guys in their right spots and leave them there and develop them there. And I was thinking about even this, because we're going to talk about Kyler Murray and the Vikings and whether that makes any sense. But if they drafted in the first two rounds a tackle and a guard in in the first and the second, I think that Vikings fans would jump for joy if they did that.
1: Well, I wrote something recently, just like a bold offseason prediction, throw them all in the hat. And it was what we've talked about before. The only one that really makes sense to me is if you can f- build up draft capital to completely rebuild your offensive line. And, and where does that come from? Does it come from trading, you know, potentially using Xavier Rose as, as trade bait to be able to get more draft picks? Because you're definitely, I don't think you're going player for player. theres It just doesn't happen like that. But, mm-hmm. you know... Then could you potentially trade up even further into the into the first round? I mean, what do you really expect at eighteen? That's going to all of a sudden be this magical fix. I mean, I don't think unless you're getting somebody in the top ten, that it's going to be a right away improvement that you're going to be able to tangibly feel and see early on in the season. I just don't.
2: And so I pulled up the offensive linemen from last year, uh, the rookies who played more than six hundred snaps. All mm-hmm. right. Only three of them were graded by Pro Football Focus to be above average. And two of them were the top two picks, Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. The other one was Braden Smith
1: yeah. of Indianapolis. Even Will Hernandez, who everybody, including yourself, yes. was punching your fist on the table about. Look at where he graded out uh, in the 2018 season. I mean, he was fourth of the rookie, of of the, the rookie linemen. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, like in big picture wise, I mean, we, we, I mean, it's, it's like the same argument that we have about Brian O'Neill of like, oh, look how great he did. I mean, he was a bright spot along the offensive line. Well, look at the numbers. Look at like where he stands among the rest of the league, among rookies and then the rest of the league. It just, I think we look at it too much in a vacuum and think mm-hmm. that there's going to be this immediate fix where there's so many things that are kind of floating around here. And until we get into that free agency period where they're either releasing, well, I mean, they can release guys now if they want to, but when they're, you know, restructuring, releasing, mm-hmm. and we start seeing things move, I don't know if we're going to really be able to tell what's going to work.
2: So Will Hernandez still allowed 13 fewer pressures than Mike at guard with a statue of a quarterback and Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but if they had drafted, and this is the thing, I like Mike Hughes and I like where he fits in and they might need him. If Xavier Rhodes continues sure. to go off the other side of the hill. Uh, but if you had Will Hernandez now and Brian O'Neill as well, if they had drafted two offensive linemen then and line assuming he is uh, better next year, which I think is a safe assumption, then you would be looking at it saying you have three offensive linemen who are young and growing together with sure. the same team on the same offensive line. Now you can patchwork these other parts of it or keep Riley Reif there. Uh, but you're in better shape as you go forward. Now, having so many positions open, you're you're
1: just scrambling to fill them. To me, it sounds like desperation. Yeah. A move like that screams, they know they're in win now. They know that their window is closing and it's shrinking by the day. But that's too desperate of a move to me because it just seems like you're, in a way, like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. And I just don't think that that's the right way to do this if you're trying to Really, I mean, if you if you want to say you're you're doing this to piecework something together, and that Kirk is not your quarterback of the future, and that you're just trying to get through the next two to three years, okay, you can admit that. But if you're trying to do something for the long term health of this franchise. I don't think, in in long term, I'm talking about beyond two years from now. I don't think that's the right fit.
2: So, speaking of that, we'll get into Kyler Murray a little bit later in the show. I also want to ask uh, Courtney how much Sheldon Richardson would be worth to the Vikings. But next, if you watched any of the Alliance of American Football, which apparently over three million people did.
1: It did better than the uh, Saturday night NBA game. It did. Regular season. I don't know who's watching regular season on a Saturday night. So, a lot of people watched the AAF,
2: the Alliance of American Football, so we're going to talk with ESPN's Mike Rothstein next. He was covering a, a game. Where was he in Florida?
1: Yes, he was in Orlando.
2: Okay, so he was in Orlando covering a game on Saturday and or Sunday. Saturday. This is over the weekend. What details. Um, so you I, can't
1: I, even find a replay of the AAF. I'm livid I right know. Now. I know.
2: You want to grind the tape. So. I want to.
1: I mean, I've got. I've got priorities. But
2: <laughs> DVR. You should have DVR'd it, and then you could slow it down. Get a little clicker thing. You know, start circling guys, get your little drawer, jar do. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk with Mike Rothstein next about his impressions covering the Alliance of American Football and whether a spring league can work. We'll do that next here. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Takes North cool. Score North.
3: This has a nice job.
0: In. the former Alabama great tell you, our defense did about
2: all of it the second half but uh, we played pretty well I think we only had to punt a couple
1: times but uh, our defense really was super the second half
2: the AAF Courtney and I both spent some time over the weekend watching the Alliance of American Football and joining us because somehow he got uh, this assignment to cover the AAF over the weekend. Michael Rossine, how are you, Michael?
3: I'm doing pretty well. It's funny, every time I do a radio appearance, the way that I get introduced as covering this league is changes uh i did one that as i was doing the interview i went from aafb writer to senior writer to i think if i had done a 20 minute call i might have become commissioner by the end i have no idea but uh yeah it's definitely an interesting league uh they called me to ask me if i wanted to go down a training camp a few weeks ago san antonio is much warmer than the ice storm that is detroit so i said sure and then they sent me to Florida for the opening game, or one of two opening games, rather. And here
2: I am. So your normal gig is covering the Detroit Lions. No uh, host made any slouching jokes, or?
3: <laughs> no, no host has made any slouching jokes about the AAF. However, it seems to be a staple whenever I come on to talk about the
2: Lions. Okay, good. So this league, uh, it, its ratings were no slouch. Um, uh, right? Huh? Anybody? Yeah, okay, we need to yeah. move on. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> He's never coming back on uh, here. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, I
2: apologize, Michael. Let's try restarting this. <laughs> Welcome in uh, Michael Rothstein, who over the weekend was asked to cover the Alliance of American Football. Well, tell me a little bit about what your experience was, because Courtney and I both watched, and it looked like the quarterback play was a little shaky. Receivers kept getting hit in the face mask, but overall, I like. The idea of having players who are battling on the cusp of the NFL, putting something new on tape, and giving us a little bit of entertainment while they do it. Yeah, and that's
3: the point of the league, and that's what Bill Polian was trying to do. Bill Polian and Charlie Ebersol—they're the co-founders of the league. They have made no illusions that they want to compete with the NFL. They want to, in their words, and various times when I talked to them while I was in San Antonio, augment the NFL, be complimentary to the NFL and basically do what they're doing, which is take guys that were on practice squads, that were part of final cutdowns, that in the case of Denard Robinson and Christian Hackenberg and Trent Richardson and some of the quote-unquote bigger names, Garrett Gilbert, some of the bigger names in the league, have had some NFL experience but are out of the league for one reason or another, and give them a shot to say, hey, I, I can get back here, I can play, or... In some cases, give guys closure on the football part of their lives. Because, and Courtney knows this from covering the NFL as well, one of the most common phrases around the league and around players I talk to is that football retires you. The NFL retires you. Very rare is the player that gets to go out on their own terms. So for some of these guys, especially I think some of the older players who've been out of the league for a year or two, if they can get back in the NFL, great. If they can play in this and kind of end that chapter of their life on their own terms in a 10-game season or play in the league for two years, make a 100 I think for two years it would be one hundred and fifty dollars or one dollars and walk away at that point and say, okay, at least I walked away on my own terms. That's a huge thing for somebody when they're kind of moving to the next phase of their life. And I think that that's a secondary thing. But the primary thing is to develop players... For the league, develop coaches for the league, officials, replay officials, even PR people. Every person I talked to while I was in San Antonio, with the exception of one or two, and most of them, and those one or two were older coaches and older coaches, and one player who actually got cut was this I want to get back to the NFL, or I want to get to the NFL. This is the way I see I can get there.
1: That's that's what I want to get to, where this is essentially, I mean, the, NFL's, the NFL has not tried itself until now. I mean, we've seen other quote-unquote farm systems, and I mean, the NFL's got the greatest farm system of any sport. It's college football. But if they're yeah. using the AAF to try to, you know, this is where they can kind of, I guess, just mitigate problems and figure things out. The one thing, your game that you were at uh, between Atlanta and Orlando, they had the female... Um, she was a, a, an official up in the booth. She changed her mind throughout the process, and you know, being able to kind of see all of that and how that worked in that level of transparency. What does what do you think that's going to do for the NFL? Because I think it was um, there was an it was an Orlando challenge there in the second quarter, and they overturned the call. It was ruled an incomplete pass, and I believe that was that was ruled to a touchdown. Was it not?
3: It. Wow. Um, yeah, I think it was. I, I said wow well, because you <laughs> remember that way better than I do. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was. That was one of the things that to me stood out. And listen, you go back and look at the XFL, which Charlie Ebersole's dad was a big part of, and a lot of the technological things that we see now in the NFL like that are commonplace start in the XFL. So if this league falls on its face, and – Listen, at this point, anyone who says that this league is going to be a success or this league is going to be a failure has no idea because it's one week. I think the ratings were very good, but a lot of that was probably curiosity of, well, what is this thing? The big thing is going to be retention is whether, whether this thing succeeds or fails. That said, the best thing that could happen, or the low bar for what could happen here is the league doesn't work, but the NFL does what it did with the XFL, does what it's done with other things that have happened in leagues like the USFL, the World League of American Football, even NFL Europe, and take interesting things from it and incorporate it into their own league. And I think that you could very well see that. To me, the biggest thing, the replay official, actually with the transparency and the officials with the transparency – was very, very good. I saw more of that when I actually watched one of the games on Sunday than being covering this game live on Saturday. But to me, the biggest thing was the kickoff and Mm -hmm. the lack of it. Uh, You know, Courtney, you obviously cover the Vikings, you're there all the time. For me, the first quarter, not having the kickoff, not having the extra point was jarring. By the end of the game, I kind of forgot it existed. And to me, if, the, if nothing else comes of this except saying, hey, maybe the kickoff, which is considered the most dangerous play in football, ends up going away, and that ends up being the big legacy of this league, despite whatever else happens, I think that that's, that's a strong legacy. And again, I want to get back to the point of saying anyone who thinks that they know if this league is going to succeed or fail at this point just doesn't know what they're talking about because there's no way to know unless they have a DeLorean. You know, basically that's that's to me is the biggest thing, is is the technological aspect of it, the replay official And the no kickoff.
1: Well, last year the competition committee brought that up. Like, should they eliminate the kickoff? I feel like that comes up every single year. Do you think, after? I mean, it's such a small sample size. But in talking with people as they've been building this league and forming this, that that's the mindset that the NFL wants to see. Okay, how are games handled without the kickoff? Is 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 that the direction you think this is going? Where they've got something in their mind about it already.
3: I don't know if the NFL has anything to do with that. When I sat down to talked to Polian in San Antonio, he told me that one of the first things he told Charlie Eversol was, "If I'm going to be involved with this. Got to get rid of the kickoff. And that was one of the first things that he said that he wanted to see happen because of the stats that are there. It's a very dangerous play. Very rarely is a, a play of massive consequence. You know, what, 10, 12 times a year? there's a kick return for a touchdown. Sometimes, obviously, there are big returns that can change momentum. But, you know, more often than not, it's a touchback, and you're getting the ball at the 25-yard line anyway. And if a guy gets blocked poorly, that could lead to an injury. So I don't know how much the NFL had a say in that. Mm -hmm. I know that Polian had told me That they are open to talking with the NFL about anything and everything when it comes to some of this stuff, be it want to experiment with rules changes, want to experiment with different things. They're open to having those conversations, but as of a couple of weeks ago, at least, those conversations, to my knowledge, had not happened, or at least are not being publicly acknowledged that they happened because we never know what happens behind closed doors. So... I think that down the road, if the NFL sees that this league is going to be sustainable and and a success, I think that then you could see maybe they try to have some things experimented or change within the AAF or the Alliance, as they prefer to be called, and then see if it makes it to the NFL. From there, probably similar to what we see sometimes in the preseason where they experiment with stuff then like they did with the longer extra point a few years ago, and then ended up implementing it.
2: We are talking with Michael Rothstein. He works for ESPN, normally for NFL Nation as the Detroit Lions reporter, but uh, was covering the Alliance of American Football over the weekend. By the way, Michael, five touchdowns last year for uh, on kickoff. So very, very few plays of major consequence. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, but talk to a special teams coach that's going to tell you they want to get rid of <laughs> they, that. They that's not happening. Keep, keep
3: their oh, job. Absolutely. Of <laughs> oh, and, kickers, no, and kickers and punters, when I've asked them about that, that that's a big thing. They don't want to lose the kickoff because that's a large portion of their job that mm-hmm. goes away. And frankly, I think at that point, that's when if there's no kickoff, if there's no extra point, that's when maybe you start seeing more kicker-punter combinations if they ha- can find a guy that can do both. And then that, that eliminates those types of jobs. And and one interesting thing here, which doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think it's why they're able to kind of go on the fly and experiment with some stuff and, and try some different things, is the way that the organization itself is structured. It's a single-entity organization, which means every one of these players is an employee of the Alliance of American Football or their parent companies, Uh, of their the names of their parent companies. Where the NFL, that's different. Every club has their own contracts and all of that, where this is different. All eight clubs are owned by the league, so they can kind of do a little bit more, and there's no union, uh, at least at this point, to really kind of step in and say, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, because of CBAs and things like that. So it's a completely different structure as well than the NFL, which is why I think they can maybe try things on the fly and be more experimental with stuff without having much pushback.
2: Michael, let me, uh, before we let you go, ask you one question about the uh, Detroit Lions. Matt Patricia already on the hot seat for next year. I mean, what what do you see as uh, the sense for him? We made fun of him a lot in our media room just for the slouching thing and just seem, seeming like the wheels were coming off in year one. Uh, but is your feeling that uh, he has to step it up in the NFC North this year, or it's going to be another change in Detroit.
3: It's tough to say at this point because he has he, his contract. General Manager Bob Quinn's contract and quarterback Matthew Stafford's contract are all tied through 2022. They all have the same end date on their contracts. So I think that the Lions are really going to allow this to kind of be seen through and see their plan through. But, and I say but. If things don't get better in 2019, then, yeah, I think everybody, there's a chance everybody's on the hot seat there, and that's the quarterback, the general manager, and the head coach because Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are very much tied together, and at least as of now, Matthew Stafford is tied to both of them because of the contract that he signed that Kirk Cousins then talked. All of that said, if they show progress in 2019, then I think that you see that all three of them return, or at least two of the three, at least the GM and the coach, return in 2020. And then kind of it depends how Matthew Stafford plays in 2019, because really 2020 or two, the kind of start of the 2020 league year is the first time where it will be palatable from a financial perspective to even consider moving him. There's a lot of talk about him maybe getting traded this offseason. The amount of money that they would lose – in that situation on a cap hit would basically render them struggling to compete in the 2019 season. And I just can't see that happening. So I think the earliest that you could see that move is 2020. And then if Matthew Stafford plays poorly again next year, Mm. listen, there's a chance that this past season was an aberration as everybody was kind of getting used to what Matt Patricia wants. They get rid of Jim Bob Cooter they hire Daryl Bevel, who obviously people in Minnesota are familiar, familiar with. Daryl Bevel will run an offense that Matt Patricia likes. Ball control. Run the ball. Let, you know, Give Matthew Stafford what he can do, but maybe don't. Even though Daryl Bevel says on Monday night that he wants to maybe stretch him a little bit and, and stretch the capabilities of what he can do, I think you're going to see a very ball control offense because that's what Matt Patricia wants. And Darryl Bevel can run that. So... As long as those things are married together, I think that they have a chance to improve. But if that doesn't work, then who knows? That's a long-winded answer to your question (laughs) of saying, no, I don't believe he's on the hot seat. I believe his seat is a little bit warm, but nowhere near the type of situation that, say, Jim Caldwell was in going into the 2017 season where it was like, if you don't make the playoffs, you're probably losing your job.
2: Are you guys having the Kyler Murray conversation over there, Michael? I don't mean in Orlando. Uh, uh, I mean in Detroit. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, listen, I think that,
3: that from a baseball perspective, there are some people that are in Orlando that would love to be having that conversation, <laughs> but I don't know where the A's actually are having a training camp. It's uh, in okay, Arizona. No, okay, well, then. It's a good try. No one, or- <laughs> no one in Orlando is talking about that. That said, uh, no, I don't think they will. I, listen, is it in t- Bob Quinn said last night that they're open to taking a quarterback at number eight. Well, sure. Right now, in February, before the combine, they're going to be open to anything. But I can't see them taking a quarterback at number eight unless they fall in love with one of these top two guys, which would be Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. The one caveat with that is that Daryl Bevel was the guy that really went to bat for Russell Wilson and turned Russell Wilson into Russell Wilson mm-hmm. and I think you'll see a lot of comparables that Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray had. They're both on the shorter side, they're both they're both mobile, they both had potential baseball careers at one point so there are some comparisons that can be there but I just don't think that they would make that move at eight because they have too many defensive needs and that's why that's why Daryl Bevel is now the offensive coordinator and that is why we you know we just had that last conversation question about whether Matt Patricia is on the hot seat. They have too many needs and too many holes to fill. Starting with tight end, pass rusher, cornerback, wide receiver. That you have your quarterback, and I can't see them really making a move at eight for this point for Kyler Murray. But I think like every other team in the league, they are going to look at him because they're either going to Potentially try to draft him or play against
2: him. ESPN NFL Nation reporter Michael Rothstein. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Rothstein. Uh, th- I'm glad you got a little Orlando vacation to do some work down there, Mike. And uh, we'll talk to you again in the offseason. We'll get the full free agency Detroit Lions perspective in a couple weeks. Oh, here.
1: I can't wait for that. I'm jacked <laughs> for that. I know you are, too.
2: Thanks for coming on, Mike. Hey, sounds great. Talk to you guys in a few weeks. There you go. Mike Rothstein there from ESPN. Um... If I were them, I'd be having the Kyler Murray conversation like we're going to have when we come back. True. Tease. Tease for next segment. All right, we'll be back. It's Purple Daily here on Score North on 1500. Sports stock that leans north. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. ScoreNorth.com.
3: Kyler Murray runs it. He's got to get out of bounds. Murray still moving.
0: Wow!
2: yards. You did some play by play in your day, didn't I'm you? I'm not Gus
1: Johnson, but I mean that was pretty good. I love that. I mean, I was assuming that was Gus Johnson. Yes. yes. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can always... a
0: Red River shootout against Texas. Guns up.
1: Guns up. Big Texas Tech fan over here. Um, um did No. You, did
2: you uh you did some play by play though, right? Back in high
1: school and did a little you, bit in college. Did you
2: ever did you ever scream? Did you ever go nuts for a play?
1: I did, but th- there was a there was a fine line, and I think a lot of women broadcasters and sportscasters, especially in radio and television play by play, realize that you can't go Gus Johnson nuts because it sounds there are a lot of people who have that like bias that they don't like the way that a woman's voice sounds when you're screaming about a touchdown or screaming about you know a dunk or you know a fade a fadeaway jumper that the buzzer. Like I never really went over the top like that. Do I? Would I have loved to? Yes. I mean, was I really good at play-by-play? Probably not. I mean, it, it was it was something I did in high school, so it got me, actually, my start in radio. Um, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It helped me see the game differently. When I did uh, minor
2: league baseball, I was not the person to have the home run call, the slam a lam ding dong or whatever, <laughs> but what was
0: great... An A-bomb was, from A-Rod.
2: Did not do A-bombs from A-Rod. I mean, uh, but... <laughs> In our press box, it was so small because the minor leagues. I mean, you were in there by yourself too, right? I was doing games. Um, no, with with different people. Sometimes by myself. Sometimes with uh, another guy who had been around the team for a long time. And actually, my wife, who's also a broadcaster, we did some games together. So that was fun. But th- the press box was so small that I was not separated from the other team's broadcaster. And it was a, it was really a side gig for me. It was like 40 bucks a game. And so like I would drive down from Buffalo and just do the game and then go home. But for a lot of the other people, it was kids who were really trying to be play-by-play broadcasters who were like 20 years old. They were like in college. So there would be a lot of like, oh, who are they trying to copy? Sure. And so there would be some Vin Scullies. They'd be like, "Hello and welcome to the ballpark." are yeah. like, "Welcome okay, to yes. the ballpark." Right? Like, so, okay, buddy. Like, this is the 1940s. Don't try to, co- <laughs> you know. And then, uh, but some would be some would be the Gus Johnson screaming, and some would do the pun game, and it was fun to listen to.
1: Really like Matt Fatskourjian. He's probably of like anybody who gets like super jacked and excited when he used to do football. That was like he was the, the XFL pe- guy. Yes, if right? if you've seen the um the thirty for thirty on the XFL, he has a huge part in that. He and, does um no, he was he was always somebody that I really like. Gus Johnson. I mean, there was because I went to Indiana. I obviously remember like when he'd do a lot of the Indiana games from 08 to twelve when I was there, and there was this Olad like this Victor Oladipo dunk where he just went like, out-of-body experience, (laughs) conniption fit, like, just lost his mind. Um... I don't, I don't know if I could ever pull that off. I mean, I think certain people can, but um, I believe he's also said some, you know, there's there's also when you get so caught up in the moment, you, th- you think of things that are not necessarily appropriate the way they come out, you know, comparing how fast somebody runs to something else. I mean, you know, there's there's those things. But I love that Kyler Murray call that you pulled up.
0: My first radio job out of college was in Roseau, Minnesota. And so I did play-by-play for football on Friday nights and uh, for a couple of home games during the season, the head coach of the Roseville football team was actually in the press box with oh, his wow. with his headset Ooh. on, like literally sitting next to oh me in my car. That's color uncomfortable. Guy. So I, yeah, I've one, had that happen. One game that that we had, first play of the game, the quarterback on a option keeper runs it, just houses it, eighty yards. First play of the game, and as I'm calling the play, you can hear Coach Doug Bravich, literally three feet away from me to my right. Like, just losing it as his quarterback is sprinting 80 yards for a touchdown, and it, like, bleeds right over into my broadcast. It's hilarious. There is a
2: joke with one of my friends who we did high school games together, a four-yard punt, because one of the coordinators that we were in their box, they had a four-yard punt, and he yelled, a bleeping four-yard punt standing right next to us. It was like... I think there's an FCC rule that covers sports and things that bleed Bleed into the mics, but I'm not (laughs) certain about that, and I'm sorry to our audience. So, um, anyway, well, I enjoy Gus Johnson's over-the-top calls from time to time. Uh, Kyler Murray, I think there's a conversation to be had with the Vikings at 18th overall with Kyler Murray. It doesn't seem like any Vikings fans want to have that conversation, though, Courtney.
1: I agree with you, and I think that there is... Valid reason for not wanting to have that conversation. Um, I think the argument today that we're hearing about, you know, Kyler Murray's not going to be at spring training. So, I mean, he's already put that out there yesterday that he's going to, dec- he, you know, he's going to go through with the NFL draft process. He's already been working out. He, you know, now now the matter is where is he drafted? Is he going to be the first quarterback taken? Is he going to go to Arizona? What do you do with Josh Rosen? I think that those are more prevalent conversations that people are having than if the possibility that he stays, you know, if he's there at 18, if the Vikings take him. I mean, best player available is a strategy that Rick Spielman's gone with, but... Do you really think that that's the best option for them at 18 with so many other needs? I don't know. I I don't think so. um,
2: The combine is probably going to determine where he lands because I remember Carson Wentz in the interviews did so well that he shot up draft boards after the combine because they loved him in the interview rooms. And with with Kyler Murray... If he can convince these teams that he is mature, which he did not seem so in his interviews at the Super Bowl, and I don't know why he did them, to be honest, why are you going to go on Dan Patrick's show if you're not going to answer questions? But if he does better than that in the rooms, uh, there is a possibility he goes very high, and it is a reasonable possibility he goes number 1 and they trade Josh Rosen, and if that happens, then we're completely out of that conversation as the Vikings. But if there are teams who are concerning short, there are teams that are concerned that he's not up to speed for NFL offenses. When he gets compared to Russell Wilson, it's kind of like, I understand the shortness, but Russell Wilson had played in multiple offenses and dominated and was kind of a savant when it came to being at the at the whiteboard and teams only passed on him because he's short. I don't know where Kyler Murray stands with all those things. The reason that I like it for the Vikings is just the general theory that you do not draft for this year you don't draft to solve problems this year unless you're in the top five but then usually you're looking down the road anyway so you almost never draft to just resolve one issue right now you draft for two to three years down the road and if you're looking two to three years down the road with this team i don't think you're sacrificing the 2019 version because the vikings went 13 and 3 the year they didn't have a first round draft pick like they've built this team up over a number of years to be a competitor And even if they draft someone who doesn't contribute in year one, just like they did with Mike Hughes, did not contribute really in year one. uh, They could still be every bit as competitive. And then they can also have a solution down the road and give Kyler Murray time to develop. I think there's a very good argument for that. I just am at the point now where he's fully committed to football, having trouble seeing him ever being in that conversation at 18, because Mm -hmm. we know anybody who could throw a ball, even a little bit ends up at the top.
1: And, The reason I kind of have pause on it because my brain won't let me go there because the quarterback conversation of like what teams need quarterbacks why why do I keep going to the Giants like the Giants are like right here outside of my like my uh, right ear and and I just keep hearing that buzz where you know if they are. Because let's go back to what Cliff Kingsbury said. I think it was maybe even after that game Manny, the the call that you pulled up where he said that when he was still at Texas Tech um that he would draft Kyler Murray if he could. Like he would take him right away. And I mean that okay, that was before he was the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So now that he is, are you going to let him go get his quarterback? Go get his guy. I mean, this is a that is a Cliff Kingsbury prototype, a quarterback like that, you know, from that same type of offense that, you know, he ran down there in in Texas at Texas Tech, I could very easily see Josh Rosen moving on via trade, but what type of leverage that they have what kind like what do you get back for him i mean is he worth a third round pick a second round pick i mean that was supposed to be your franchise quarterback would mm-hmm. they pass on that and i don't know i mean i think that there's so many things that are tied up between the cardinals and potentially teams i mean i'm not throwing jacksonville in there but i'm thinking of teams that need quarterbacks number 1 being new york giants that that's probably where this conversation starts and ends.
2: You do wonder if it was a conversation when Cliff Kingsbury was hired about who he wanted to be his quarterback. um, Because even though they drafted Josh Rosen high, you don't want to stick a head coach with a quarterback that he doesn't want uh, unless... Um, you know you don't have any better option, mm-hmm. and in this case, they might have a better option. Though I still like Josh Rosen. I mean, I, I think that was that your
1: favorite quarterback in last year's draft class. It
2: was, and if you grade a quarterback based on his rookie year, uh, well, then I guess Peyton Manning is uh, he's no good, right? I mean, like or Jared Goff, who was just in the Super Bowl, who now everyone has decided is trash. But uh, I think he's just because he got. How dueled by Belichick. I think he's still pretty good, 24 and seven over the last two years, and the number one and number two ranked offenses after a terrible, disastrous first year. I think the same thing is very possible for Josh Rosen. But the Murray conversation is interesting to me just because it points to this team is in win now mode and they should be, but the draft, when you pick 18th, you're not really in win now mode on that day unless there's a pick you're trading away for a player that's going to contribute right away and quarterback for the long-term viability of your franchise is vital. If Kirk Cousins isn't going to be the guy long-term, we don't know right now. And if he is, if he goes 14 and two next year and you're like, okay, sign this guy to an extension. Well, then you trade Kyler Murray and you get something back. That's pretty impressive. And so I, I see very little downside to doing it outside of, yeah, you need an offensive lineman, and you need to keep building the offensive line, but I think quarterback is still more important down the road.
1: It, it's interesting. I remember sitting in that chair right across from you that back, one? yes, in October. It was it was the three of us. It was you, me, and Judd. It was um, you know. On where a, was Judd sitting? Judd was sitting where I'm sitting right now. I'm okay. trying to paint the picture because I don't believe we're on the live stream right now. And no, this not. is this is this is what radio is. I mean, you're supposed to paint the picture. This is why I was terrible at play by play. I never painted the picture correctly. Can, can you
2: try to describe the shape of this table to people listening?
1: Oh, man. It's, it's a, like a spinner. Yeah, it's a fidget spinner. Yeah, it's a fidget spinner. Table is a fidget spinner. Wow. Okay. Uh, so tell, why tell you're your, so good at this. Tell those. your story. I'm sorry. Um, I just remember <laughs> we were talking about it. It was like October. And I brought up a point of like, we're never going to be talking about Kyler Murray. It's unfair right now. I mean, this guy won the Heisman. Like, and, and even back then, we weren't even considering him among the top, you know, top quarterbacks taken that he was even going to go. Because obviously back then, f- baseball was still with the A's, was still the focal point. But. It's amazing how quickly that conversation changed, and to me, it's amazing how quickly Dwayne Haskins has kind of become obsolete, B- big picture wise, right here, because everyone all in on Kyler Murray. He's an outside the pocket quarterback. He's accurate. He's shown that he can do it, but he's short. And Dwayne Haskins was in an offense that that you know relied upon him throwing the ball down the field again and again and again, and for a year. Where Ohio State had so much other nonsense around that program, I mean, he carried them to where they were. He carried them to a Big Ten championship. Why all of a sudden are we talking about this? Where Kyler Murray is just kind of, you know, t- you know, masking the entire conversation that Dwayne Haskins. I mean, that was who I thought was going number one, and he know? might, and he still I mean, very easily could. He might go at the top. But if I'm picking quarterbacks, I still I want that. I want a bigger guy. I want somebody with a stronger arm. I want. You know, I think you take the risk on someone like a Russell Wilson type. Only so often those guys pan out. I think Dwayne Haskins is still the safer bet.
2: I think that uh, guys who are big and giant with strong arms often don't work out. And you just go with the best football player you can find. Um, but that, you know, with the Vikings, it would be a steal pick with him, considering his talent, but I, I don't know if he'll get there. I think that we talk about him just because his situation is so unique, mm-hmm. and he as a player is so unique, that he's being talked about as the best athlete since Michael Vick to come out, and and that's that's really rare. So, uh, the phone number is 651- if you have a thought on the Kyler Murray conversation with the Vikings. Should we even be bothering to talk about it, or does it catch your ear as we think about the long-term viability, not just the short-term of the quarterback position with the Vikings. Manny has made a list based on Kyler Murray. It's either eight or nine things, and we will find that out when we come back. The drama is real inside. You can feel the tension for whether it will be eight or nine things on Manny's list. So we will find out when we come back here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North.